And this morning's text uh, that Brantley just read to us is Matthew 7, 1 through 5. One of the most memorable illustrations that Jesus has ever used. And we puzzle over it and we puzzle over it and we try to make sense out of it so that it can instruct us on how to lead a Christian life and live, live better Christian lives. And the sense of the whole thing, verses 1 through 5, seems to be use judgment when you're judging others. Use judgment when you're judging others, which means there can be situations in which several different kinds of judgments are going on all at the same time. And that's how we're going to think about it this morning. We're going to talk about all the different forms of judgment we will see here in this passage of Scripture. And there are four in particular. First, you have God's judgment. Then you have the judgment, our judgment of others. Thirdly, you have our judgment of ourselves. And then finally, we want to talk about being judged by others. So those four different kinds are all represented in the text this morning. Let's start right away with God's judgment. Now some misunderstand the last part of verse 1. What does it say? Judge not that you be not judged. And the misunderstanding is that it's talking about God's judgment. And there might be a case in which a person could avoid altogether the judgment of God. Judge not that you be not judged. And so some misinterpret it to say, if I don't judge other people, God won't judge me. But if you continue reading, that's not at all what he's saying. Verse 2 makes it very clear. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, it's not the case that God judges us based on the judgment we give to other people or that he measures out to us whatever it is that we measured out to other people. He's talking about our judgment of others and others' judgment of us, and he's expressing a general rule. If you're exceedingly harsh to people, if you're hypercritical toward your neighbor, then more than likely people are going to return that back to you. If you measure out harsh justice, harsh justice will be measured out to you. If you're a merciful person, if you're gracious, if you're forgiving, then generally speaking, not all the times, but generally speaking, people will be gracious and merciful toward you. It's not about judgment day. It's about daily life and our interaction with other people. When it comes to God's judgment, each one of us will stand to give an account before God on judgment day. And this is very clear from Scripture. For example, Romans chapter 14, verse 12, each of us will give account of himself to God. Every single person in this assembly, every person that is alive today or has ever lived or will ever live must give account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. However you lived, you will stand to give an account of yourself before God. You cannot escape the judgment of God. There's a story about two farmers that lived on adjacent farms, and one was an atheist and one was a believer. 
And the atheist was always scoffing and cursing. And, and he said one, one spring, he said, I tell you what, I'll, I'll make this proposal and we'll find out who's right, you or me. We'll plant the same crop and at harvest time, we'll see whose crop is better. We'll plant the same crop and I'll curse your God and you pray to your God. And at harvest time, we'll see whose crop is better. At harvest time, the atheist had a bigger crop than the believer. So he said, see there, you do all that praying and all that worshiping and all that right living for nothing. And the believer answered, he said, my God does not settle all accounts in October. There's a judgment day. God has fixed a day. He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and has given assurance to us all by raising him from the dead. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. And I know some people have a problem with that because the Bible says God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And it's true. God is love. They say, well, how could a loving God be judgmental? But love and justice are two sides of the same coin. You can't have love without justice. Do you love your children? Of course you do. So what do you do when they run out into the parking lot, run into traffic? You scold them. You exercise vengeance upon them because you want them to be safe. Do you love freedom? Well, then you'll turn on anything that threatens that freedom. For every love, there's a corresponding vengeance. God is love. He loves righteousness. He loves souls. And so necessarily he will judge at the last day. That's why we shouldn't go through life excusing our sins and rationalizing our behavior and saying, well, you know, I've been lenient. I've been tolerant. So God will be tolerant with me. God is going to use the standard of his word to judge our deeds on the last day. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 is not about the judgment of God. It's about our judgment with one another. So let's turn in the second place to our judgment of others. Now in saying judge not that you be not judged, Matthew 7, 1, does Jesus mean to prohibit all judgment? You know, this, this is one of the most popular verses in all the world because a lot of people like to throw it in the face of someone who might be making a judgment or scrutinizing them or criticizing them. They'll say, Judge not that you be not judged. That's in the Bible. So is Jesus intending for us not to make any judgments whatsoever? If you read the context, it's very clear that's not what he is doing. Just a few verses later, Matthew 7, 6, he says this, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. How do you know who the dogs are? And how do you know who the pigs are if you don't have some kind of discernment? If you don't discriminate between one and the other? It's impossible to follow this passage of Scripture without making any judgments whatsoever. The same applies to Matthew 7, 15. Just a few more verses down. Same chapter as judge not that you be not judged. What does he say? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They have sheep's clothing on. They look like sheep. 
but you got to beware of them because on the inside they're ravenous wolves. How do I know the difference between the false prophets and the true prophets? The next verse says, you will recognize them by their fruits. The fruit of a teacher is his teaching. So you listen to a teacher, you compare his teaching with the word of God. If it's different, he's a false prophet. If it corresponds to the word of God, he's a true teacher. Is that not a form of judgment? Of course it is. And so we have to put this into the context. It's not asking us never to make any judgments whatsoever. It's not doing that at all. John said this in, or Jesus said this in John 7, 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. So there are kinds of judgments made here. Some of them wrong, some of them right. Do not judge according to the appearance. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't size somebody up by their skin color or where they came from or their accent or how they dress or their fashion. But judge with righteousness. Be fair as God is fair. That's the idea there. I think a lot of the confusion is that we translate the, the Greek words that are used here the same way every time. It's the same Greek word in each case and you have to determine the meaning by the context. The word in the Greek is krino. And look at all the possible meanings of this one word. Uh, the root has to do with separation, to separate, to make a distinction between, or to exercise judgment upon, or to estimate, or to appraise. That's a wide range of ideas covered by this little Greek word krino. So sometimes it has to do with making a distinction that shouldn't be made. And in some cases, it has to do with making a distinction that should be made. And so I think we need to use terms that apply to the context that they're, they're meant. And uh, to do that, I want you to think about two forms, two different kinds of applications that we'll be using for the rest of this lesson. To refer to the wrong kind of judgment, we'll use the word condemnation. And to refer to the right kind of judgment, we'll use the word discernment. God opposes condemnation where we attack somebody's self-worth, but he favors good discernment where we make a separation between right and wrong behavior. Condemnation versus discernment. If we if we use those terms to distinguish it, we'll understand that Jesus is not prohibiting all judgment here. What he's doing is prohibiting sinful condemnation. Now, with that said, let's go back to Matthew 7 and let's look again at what Jesus said in this marvelous illustration. Jesus was a master teacher and he used some of the greatest illustrations and this is among, among the top. Look at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Can you imagine that? You know, somebody with a log hanging out of their eye, trying to help somebody with a little speck in their eye. It's a really amusing picture that he's painting here. But there are four things that he's saying about condemnation. And uh, I want to point them out as we go through this rather quickly. First of all, he says this kind of sinful, sinful condemnation is inconsistent. 
The man in the illustration is trying to help somebody out with a little dust in his eye when he's got a log hanging out of his eye. He obviously has one set of rules for himself and another set of rules for everybody else. He doesn't live by the rules that he's judging others by. It's inconsistent. Secondly, he says this behavior is hypocritical. You notice he uses the word hypocrites. You hypocrite to refer to people who condemn others. Uh, the Greek word hypocrite had to do with actors on the stage who wore masks or dressed in a certain way or acted a certain way for the role in the play to pretend to be somebody that they weren't. And he's saying to this condemning person that you are a hypocrite. You're pretending to be somebody who has it all together. You're pretending to be somebody who has the right to judge others when in reality you're not that person you're pretending to be. Now, how does Jesus know this? How does he know that the man with the log in his eye is a hypocrite and that he's guilty of condemning others? Here's the answer. He knows it because the log in the eye is the condemnation. Now, let me make this clear. A lot of times we read this verse to say, we can take the log out of our own eye. I'll get to that part in a moment. And when we get the log out of our eye, then we can see clearly to start condemning people. But no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the log is the condemnation. You see, the sin that he's talking about is the log, is the, is the hypocrisy. So he knows that they're hypocrites because that is the log that's in their eye. You see what I'm saying? It's not about getting your life straight so then you can start condemning somebody. All forms of condemnation where you attack somebody's self-worth and you're overly critical towards them and hold them to a standard that you don't hold yourself to, all of that is sinful. Even if you think you've got your life all lined up, you still don't have the right to behave that way towards others. Number three, he says, this behavior is unhealthy. What happens if you walk around with a log in your eye for very long? You're going to go blind. That kind of thing is just not very good for you at all. It's unhealthy. You get to where you can't clearly see the world around you. You can't see others around you. You can't see your brother. You can't see your sister in Christ. If you go around criticizing and condemning people all the time, you're going to wind up being unhappy. You're going to be uh, discontent, negative, nothing will impress you. You'll always be dissatisfied. There's no joy in that kind of life. You don't want to be that way. And Jesus is pointing that out. Finally, he says that a judgmental attitude is not helpful either. Now we get to this part where he says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. He's not allowing condemnation. He's not saying that once you get your affairs in order, then you can sit on the judgment seat and tell the difference between uh, those who are worthy of your admiration and those who are not. What he's saying is all this condemning behavior has to be put away, and that is the log in your brother's eye. However, the Bible does call for discernment. But if you look at the Bible and how it talks about it, you can see it's something very different from condemning a person as having no self-worth or having no value. You can go, for example, to how Jesus teaches discernment in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. 
If you have a problem with your brother, first, what do you do? You go to him in private. So you have respect for him. You don't humiliate him in front of everybody. You pull him aside and you go to him in private. And he says, then if he listens to you, you've won your brother. If he doesn't listen to you, take a second step. You bring two or three witnesses. Still respecting his privacy. You're not wanting to humiliate him. Not wanting to tear him down, but build him up. If he doesn't listen to two or three witnesses, then tell it to the church. And if that doesn't bring him around, then then you uh, withdraw from him. You have nothing to do with that person. But all of it is, is done with the motive of gaining your brother. That's the language that Jesus uses in Matthew 18. You find a similar thing in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If any one of you is, is overtaken in a fault, Paul says, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, you, you, bring, you restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Uh, keeping watch on your own selves, lest you too be tempted. He's saying the mature brothers and sisters have the job of doing this. Not somebody who's struggling with condemnation or insecurities, but people who have been through this, they've seen this, they know what people are capable of, and people who keep watch on their own selves, so they're not tempted as well. So it's not consistent, it's hypocritical, it's unhealthy, and it's not helpful. We need to be careful about our judgment of others. Let it be discernment, but never let it be condemnation. All right, with that said, let's turn in the third place to our judgment of ourselves. A lot of this is about, you know, how we look at ourselves. And when we choose to be ignorant of our own faults, our own imperfections, our judgments get clouded. And we don't see the world the right way. Uh, there's a great story about these two taxidermists who were walking down the street and they were looking in the shop windows and they came to a shop window in which there was an owl perched on a, on a limb. And they started scrutinizing the work of the taxidermists. They said, well, the eyes are not set properly. The, the wings are not in good proportion with the head. The feathers are not beautifully arranged. The talons could have been done better. And they were sizing this owl up when all of a sudden it turned its head at him and it winked. Okay. So that's kind of what we've got here in this situation with the man with the log hanging out of his eye, trying to remove a dust mote from another person's eye. He doesn't see himself clearly, so he can't see the other person clearly. He's ignorant to his own faults and imperfections. A lot of times that's a fear. You're afraid to admit you're wrong. You're afraid to confess your sin. And where does that come from? Let me suggest four different reasons why we get like that. One is an inferiority complex. Sometimes we know that we're not much. And so we try to make ourselves look bigger by tearing other people down. Another problem is jealousy or envy. What happens when you're jealous? You try to get rid of the object of your jealousy. Think of King Saul against David. When Saul became jealous of David, he wanted to destroy David. Envy is one of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19-21. It's a very dangerous, sinful attitude 
And it's a source of a lot of criticism. Number three, a negative upbringing. You know, we are, we are molded and we are shaped by the homes that we were raised in, like it or not. You may even look back to the home you're raised in and see the problems with it and still be affected by those things in a negative way. So a lot of people deal with negativity because that's the environment they were raised in. And one thing that you can do is just be aware of that and be more sensitive toward yourself whenever you are, you're behaving that way and know where it comes from. And then sometimes, and maybe most of the time, it's just a lack of forethought. You know, some of us were just born with a foot-shaped mouth. We're always, you know, maybe we're trying to make jokes or trying, we don't know what to say in awkward situations. Uh, we're not very thoughtful about what comes out of our mouths. Uh, sometimes it's put this way, you don't have a filter. And we just say things that we shouldn't say. We don't mean it. We're not trying to be condemning. We don't hate the other person, not really. But we slip up and we do things. And it's still a sinful thing. There are other reasons. You could probably come up with other reasons. Look at your own life. Ask yourself, am I aware of my sins? Do I have a problem with pride? Am I afraid to confess sin to others because I feel inferior? I feel like if I confess sin, they'll connect me with the sin forever. That I'll never have any worth or value in their eyes. Have more faith in God. And be, be honest with yourself and examine yourself. Let's turn to the last place, to being judged by others. One of the reasons this subject is so complicated, the subject of condemnation, is because we don't know how to discern properly. We don't know how to judge others properly. But another reason that is complicated is we don't know how to receive judgment properly. And I think for a church to do this correctly, we need both. We need to know how to give constructive criticism or discernment, and we need to know how to receive it as well. And a lot of us are bad at both. Because, let's face it, it's hard. It's not easy, right? The Bible tells us that a wise person listens to discernment. Look at some of these passages. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Here's Proverbs 29, verse 1. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And then my favorite, Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Be careful about the people that are always flattering you and telling you great things about you and never confronting your sin and never helping you, never holding you accountable, never holding you responsible. They may be your enemy because they're not helping you develop your soul. We need to surround ourselves with people who will tell us the truth and will tell us, you know, help us with our our struggles and our imperfections and our faults. We need to be humble enough to accept that. And that's hard. Sometimes, though, the criticism is condemnation and not discernment. And we have to be careful about believing the condemnation. So what do we do? Well, we, we have to sort it out. 
Here's some questions that might help you sort out others' judgment of you. Number one, ask, is it biblical? Because if anybody's giving you some advice that doesn't line up with God's word, it's wrong. I don't care what it is, it's wrong. Just don't listen to it. Immediately reject it. If somebody tells you, for example, that you're not worth anything, that nobody cares about you, that's not biblical. That's wrong. You've been made in the image of God. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. If somebody tries to tear you down that way, it's not biblical. Reject it immediately. Number two, ask, is it helpful? Okay, you know, this is, I made this mistake. This person's coming after me about it. Is it helpful? One time, um, you know, somebody met me in the foyer and uh, he handed me a, a slip of paper. He said, read that when you get home. I said, okay. So I got it home and it said, you put first Kings, you put first Kings on the slide and it was second Kings. And I was like, trash can because it was a typo. Okay. It wasn't anything to worry about. And that's just a little thing, but sometimes people will bring up a fault or a problem it's really not a problem at all. It's just something you should forget and move on about. Is it helpful? Is it the right time? You know, sometimes people are telling you something that you need to hear, but it's not the right time for you to hear it. Maybe you're just going through terrible grief or something horrible has happened in your life or you're having health problems at the moment. And it's not time for you know, bettering yourself in whatever way this person is trying to correct you. Is the timing right? Also ask, is this the right person to be saying this? You know, I go back to Galatians 6.1. You who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. Not everybody has the right to give constructive criticism. There needs to be a relationship of trust there. For that to happen. And then finally, you know, a good question to ask is, am I just being too sensitive? You know, do I need to listen to this person? Maybe I could get better. Maybe this person is just trying to help me. Give them the benefit of the doubt and be big enough, be humble enough to receive criticism because that's what a wise person does, according to the book of Proverbs. Also, remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Resist the temptation of counter-condemnation. Because when somebody comes to you and condemns you with this log in their eye, you don't have to listen to that. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If they come to condemn you as a child of hell when you're a child of God, they're wrong, not you. You don't have to listen to it, and you don't have to strike back with the same sin that they are committing. And then another thought. Ask yourself, who is judging me? Who is this person? Who am I allowing on the judgment seat before me? This is something Paul did, and he handled a lot of criticism this way. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. And listen to what he's saying about his critics. He says, with me... It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. 
For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Even if I acquit myself, Paul says, it doesn't matter. It's the Lord who judges me. Only God can excuse or condemn. Only God has that right. Yes, we can discern. Yes, we need to make a difference. Yes, we need to tell right from wrong, sin from righteousness. But only God can condemn. Only He has the right to do that. And so let's be careful about our judgments. And let's ask ourselves, who is doing the judging? James said in 4.12, James 4.12, Who are you to judge your neighbor? Be humble, be big enough. This comes full circle to where we began. Only God has the right to judge. There's been a lot of news lately about how critical Christians are. A lot of news lately about how intolerant we've been. The world makes it look like we're evil and the rest of the world is good. That by making discernment and a difference between sin and righteousness, we as Christians somehow are hateful, and they've turned a religion based on love into a religion based on hate. We know that's not what Christ was all about. We know Christ came in love. We know the story of the gospel is love. And so let's learn how to sort out the judgments, and let's go backwards through these points just to refresh our memory. First of all, let's be humble and big enough to receive constructive criticism. Accountability and responsibility are very important things in a church. Number two, let's examine ourselves. Let's be willing to judge ourselves and see our imperfections and faults and work on them and allow God's grace to enter our heart to give us the strength to empower us to repent. Number three, don't condemn others. Be careful with your judgment of others. Search your heart. What are your motives? Are you trying to help this person? Or are you trying to tear them down to make yourself look bigger? And then finally, there's a great day coming. God's judgment is coming. And at that last day when Jesus returns, all will stand to give an account before God. Are you ready for that day? Are you prepared? Is your heart right with Him? If not, we're going to sing an invitation song. We can help you prepare. Whether you need to obey the gospel and become a Christian today, or you need some help in your Christian walk with prayer and restoration, we're here to help you. We want to help you. We want to surround you with love. Please come right now as we stand together and as we sing.